Everybody, it's Movie Geeks United. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode. Uh, of course, I'm saying it before we record it. It might suck this episode, <laughs> but I am so confident, as I always am, in my partners in crime, that I'm willing to bet mm-hmm. it'll be another good one. We have. So, so don't make a liar out of me, guys. <laughs> we'll make it uh, worth your while, I'd say. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, uh, so it's Jamie, which is me, and uh, Dean and uh, uh, Adam today. Yes, mm-hmm. it's been like a like a musical chairs of uh, guests uh, or, or co-hosts these past few weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. You just uh, you just never know what we're what we're going to be up to. Keep them guessing. That's and what hey, if 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 anyone out there is not following our social media and art art aware. Oh, and, yes. and you're a loyal listener to Movie Geeks United, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'd love to co-host the show one time. Here's your chance, because we're starting a game show, the Movie Geek Game Night, and uh, we're looking for contestants. And the grand prize winner uh, will be able, and you got to go through some hoops to get there. <laughs> so actual we'll sit in with us. <laughs> yeah, we'll sit in with us on one show uh, to co-host uh, with us, and you'll also get you know the prize pack. Uh, but uh, it'll be fun, and we're starting to tape next week, so with multiple episodes. So if you're interested, uh, shoot us an email, moviegeeksunited at yahoo.com, and uh, you can compete in our movie trivia game show. Hmm. Sounds like so, fun. Well, well, I haven't seen anything new, really, to tell you the truth. I've been uh, I've been out in the country, just sort of lazing around in a lazy river, and just sort of uh, taking it easy away from the movies. But I have watched a lot of old movies, so uh, so that's what I'm going to report on. <laughs> but uh, what have you been watching? I know you you've been watching a lot of new stuff. Alex. Oh yeah couple things every week, you know, two two or three. Um, yeah, this week did the Whitney Houston documentary that's out, directed by Kevin McDonald. Okay. And, um... Was word... that the second or third Whitney doc uh, to be released in the last three or four years? Well, if you're keeping the record, um, there was a Lifetime biopic that aired in early 2015, uh-huh. and this was followed by the Nick Broomfield documentary that aired on Showtime last August, Right. which uh, leads us to the latest, which is uh, getting a theatrical release here stateside. Also another British director, 
because Nick Broomfield is British. So these, the the dueling British directors and the dueling Whitney bio uh, documentaries. So um, probably because they see they see the death of Whitney as like uh, you know like symbolic of uh, of America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? so. Well, there's there is an interesting trajectory. That the movie, there's a lot of archival footage of what was going on at the time mm-hmm. in the world that in in the new one. I haven't seen the Nick Broomfield documentary, although that's a situation I'm going to rectify when we finish taping. Today. That one I've yeah. seen. So, so you can comment on that one. I I have not seen that one. Uh, it's been sitting around here for ever since it aired, and I've, I've, I'm going to make that happen. It's okay. You know what? You know what? I'm not a massive the, fan um, of his. <laughs> so the the one thing that uh, made me weary of uh, this new Whitney documentary is it says it's the first work sanctioned by the Houston family, which mm-hmm. is usually a sign that oh well they're gonna they're definitely pulling it. their punches. Yeah. Yeah, but the one thing that is um, of benefit that is lacking in the Broomfield documentary is you can probably have a lot better music and, and yeah. performance clips because that's something that was missing from that Whitney, why can't I be me or uh, that's true. I'm going to be me or whatever. It was completely yeah. without music. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of bombshells that are dropped in this movie that, that are pretty jaw-dropping for a movie sanctioned by the family. I will say that. Uh, okay. That are pretty salacious. And there's one that deals with her... Uh, there's pretty good evidence that she was molested as a child. Long story short, mm-hmm. and and we're not talking about just we're talking about somebody who was a well-known member of her family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll say D.D. Uh, D. Warwick, who's a cousin of Dion Warwick, who had a, a a pretty good career on her own as a soul singer, and family members had been told by Whitney and friends that she was molested by D.D. D. Warwick, and they go on record in the movie as saying such, which wow. is pretty pretty devastating when you okay. think about that. And that that probably, they they say that probably has something to do with her hanging on to Bobby Brown. There was a psychological thing there that she wanted to make that work in spite of the fact that it was clearly not working for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And that probably played into her, you know, hanging on and making that... You just just hanging in there when when it was clear to everybody else this is you need to get out. Yeah. And it just it it led to her downward spiral, of course, and it's just plus amazing. the drug use didn't didn't help, of course. But, well, but yeah, didn't, but didn't help her judgment center. <laughs> yeah, and and you have your husband every two seconds, who's being who some some woman is is accusing him of fathering their child. Uh huh. He's, he's getting arrested for beating hey, up somebody. Hey, and... it's his prerogative. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. There you go. This is true. We 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 shouldn't be too cruel, so we don't. So don't be cruel. But <laughs> yeah, but, uh, Bobby Brown. Oh, yeah, Bobby I forgot Brown is, about uh, that one. <laughs> Bobby Brown is is interviewed in that, right? He's interviewed. He in is. The movie. That's yeah. There there are several people in the movie who are interviewed, and he. Well, people in the audience where I saw it, they were talking back to the screen because they were clearly not happy with with what he had to say. 
And oh, that yeah. it, it was it was one of those movies where it was interesting to be with an audience because people were actually yelling back at the screen when L.A. Reid comes <laughs> on at one point. He says something. Yeah. He claims that he doesn't know anything about the drug abuse, which I say is bullshit. If I, I'll just come out and yeah, say it sure. because, yeah, you can't have you're sending your your PR guys to make sure that she does the album that she's required to do, and they're there for four years and they get two songs out of her, and you don't know something's going on. I, it's hard to accept that. And so when he says, uh, you know, these people that say uh, that say that I don't know. Uh, that I, that I knew about the drug abuse, I say fuck you, and then somebody in the theater says, "No, fuck you, man." <laughs> so we heard somebody Good. yelling it, you know, but it, it was really funny. And uh, and then Bobby Brown, he comes on, and they ask him, you know, about the drug abuse, and he says, well, "What does that have to do with Whitney's life? I don't understand." And so uh, clearly, I think it was Kevin McDonald that's doing the interviewing at this point, and he says, um, yeah. "Well, that that has a lot to do with it because that's how she died." <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, you know, well, he, and he it's good that he kept, it's good that he kept that in the movie because that tells you what you need to know about Bobby Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. He, that he, that evasiveness, and plus, yeah. it's interesting that uh, that was one of his last interviews, if not the last interview that he did. Where the revelation of the sexual abuse came out, yeah. so that, he he didn't know that would be part of the movie until he was almost done shooting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a lot of the people that were close to her. I mean, they 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 openly weep on camera, and it's um, uh, and and like I said, it, you 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 do find out that she was bullied as a child, which is something else we don't think about. She went to a Catholic school. Because her parents were trying to keep her out of, you know, the public school system in Newark, New Jersey, was not a good scene from what they depict in the film. So they tried to, they put her in Catholic school, and she was bullied mercilessly, according to this movie, uh, as a kid. So she learned to be tough out of necessity, and so you do get a lot of insight into her psychology and and uh, all that. So I I do recommend it. I think it it is it is good. Um, and does get a fairly credible job done of, of documenting her her life and now, trying to now the, now the focus on the Bloomfeld and Broomfeld whatever his name is mm-hmm. uh, is uh, is her lesbianism and her close relationship with her her assistant and Bobby Brown's Robin. jealousy yeah. of that relationship yeah is that yeah. play a role in this one or not so much it does yeah yep they don't they don't shy away from that and. Um, they address her sexuality. There's several people. Well, there's one person that comes on camera who says that they basically thought she was just her sexuality is what we would refer to today as free. That was or the word fluid. they used. <laughs> fluid, yeah. Fluid, yeah. <laughs> I know every every time I have sex, there's a lot of fluid involved. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> True. Truly, let that one go by. <laughs> But couldn't let it go by. Uh, yeah, but it's interesting because I saw another interview with her mother years ago where her mother said that she would have disowned her if she would have come out as lesbian. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt about it. Yeah, I think that was yeah. part of it. And uh, her mother's in the movie. She She's on camera as well, but she doesn't have a lot to say. There's just not – you don't get – he doesn't get a lot out of her. I mean, yeah. She, God. You know, but she, she doesn't appear. But in Houston – Whitney Houston, Prince, and Michael Jackson all all gone. Yeah, George Michael that's too. Like, that's another one. Just amazing. The George Michael and Madonna yeah. still standing. Yeah, yeah. 
That's a surprise. I know. It's... Although, you know, Bonanza's always been, you know, pretty healthy and uh and uh I don't I don't I don't know that she's like a big uh drug taker or anything. So uh so that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That's what they they point out in the movie is that you know and after the mid 90s when she married Bobby Brown that she just didn't have any vanity at all. There was no vanity and that that was really surprising for somebody who had a pretty fair amount of vanity in her early phases of her career and then suddenly it's like she just didn't care. Yeah. You know? Well, and, that's and a real that's a real sign, you know, that the drugs are taken they have taken hold, you know, is that you just you just yeah. don't, you stop caring about um you stop caring about you know your your uh, your sartorial splendor or anything like that you know and you just all you care about is the next hit so yeah you know. it's true and they touch on the uh, also the the daughter too they get into that and and basically you get the the sense that she didn't have a chance she's just mm. no way I mean she you know Whitney parented her the best that she knew how which is to say not very well mm-hmm. and. You know, and and the, and the kid was partying with her. You know, towards the end, it was. I mean, she was not a parent; she was a friend, a party, uh, a party, a friend, party buddy, yeah, a yeah, party uh, buddy. And it was just kind of, I, I don't know. It's it's really, it's it's it's. I I do recommend it. I really do. So, <coughs> yeah. But it sounds. And do you recommend Ant Man and the Wasp? <laughs> well, it's typical midsummer Marvel programming, I guess, is what you would say that's how i would label it it's no better or no worse than the 2015 ant-man which was very disposable to me yeah Uh, it was yeah it's it's not you know i i think it would have been a great film had edgar wright been able to fulfill his vision who was the original director but once you know marvel had to conform it to their marvel standards the the little their little wanted, checklist of things yeah. to do, bing, bing, yeah. bing, oh, there's Stanley, bong, there's that, yes. there's that, there's that. Yeah. yeah, and so that, I think that 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 was the first death nail in the Ant-Man franchise as far as I'm concerned. And this one, you know, it, it's a lot like the first one. They try to substitute humor for story. Yeah. To show you that, you know, to, to, paint, to gloss over the fact that um, – you know, there's just not a lot of story there. They they try to cram in the jokes and the and the humor in most of these Marvel films. Just it's not for me. Let's just say that I'm going to be clear. I, I didn't laugh once. I never laugh once at any Marvel. Like movie. what 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 do you think is the quality that that eludes you about their their type of humor? It's just I don't I don't know. I I guess I want a little bit more subversiveness in my humor uh-huh. instead of this generic. It's 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 the kind of humor that you used to get when I that I, that amused me when I was four in the fourth or fifth grade when you'd get these joke books at the book fair. <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of thing. You know, it's it's like gosh, this is you know, look at these one-liners here. They're they're so funny, and you would chuckle and laugh at them. And you know, there's there's no afterbite to any of them. And I I don't know this. It, it's it seems like it's just the dumbing down of the the masses with this type thing you know they don't want to they try to be funny without offending anybody without crossing the lines or so you can tell they're just tiptoeing around to you know to me they were my i seem to have a memory of the humor in the first ant-man is reminding me 
of something like from a Bob Hope movie or something like from the yeah. from the forties, yeah. you know, just uh, uh I mean of course obviously updated but uh just that uh, sort of uh snide uh smart assy kind of thing that's sort of commenting on the movie itself. Yeah, and, but, and I yeah, that's that's a good way to to, to, to describe it and I I'm just more of a – I like a little subversiveness and a little more bite in my humor and this – just what what they do with these movies. And, and I think that is part of the reason why I don't take to these movies because I, I can feel the, the wheels grinding, figuratively um, speaking, of uh-huh. the writers trying so hard to make people laugh. It's, it, you can almost just hear the machinery in place. Uh-huh. And it just really gets on my nerves. And when I get in, and everybody's laughing around me, and I don't think anything's funny about it. And I'm sitting there, and I know I look like some sourpuss. By the way, there's nothing worse than being You're an actual actually, Adam. <laughs> I guess I am. I guess I am. But there's nothing worse than being in the middle of a um, any kind of audience, whether it's at a movie or at a comedy show, which is the worst because it's live, of course. But uh, there's nothing worse than being in a, a, the only one not laughing in a room full of laughing people. Uh, it's just uh, it's it, <laughs> it's the sense of alienation that's uh, that's really uh, you know palpable. You know, it's really terrible. But uh, uh, yeah, mm. so I, I find that irritating. Here's a question and, for you guys: What yeah. do you think is the best sequel in the Dirty Harry franchise? That's because the uh, you know Fourth of July, there's traditions on TV. Like one network shows all the Indiana Jones, and another network every Fourth of July, Sundance, I think, shows all the Dirty Harry movies. So they're fresh on my mind because I reviewed some of them uh, uh-huh. last weekend, and I want you guys' opinion. I watched a number of, uh, of them recently. I like Magnum Force. Uh, I like uh, I like the supporting cast in that. Um, uh, that's the one with Hal Holbrook, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Hal Holbrook, yep. And Tim then, Matheson uh, and David Soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tim Matheson and David Soul, and then one other guy, Robert Urich, as the as the motorcycle. Who's the other guy? Robert Urich from Vegas. That's right. Oh, jeez, God, wow! Can't even believe I forgot that. I've got a Robert Urich autograph. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. I, I like that one the best. Uh, I just uh, think it moves quickest, and the Enforcer is good uh, as well. And uh, but I'm not a big fan of Sudden Impact. Um, that's the probably the biggest hit since Dirty Harry, and uh, and Deadpool is uh, I don't know. It's kind of perverse fun, you know, with Jim Carrey being in it. But uh, I don't well, think Deadpool, it's a great Deadpool's movie. Got some good hu- Deadpool's got some good humor in it though. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it it's got some interesting, interesting situations with the uh, little car, explosive yeah. car. So yeah, it kind of it, it does something different with the car chase. Yeah, which I think yeah. is commendable enough. I agree. Uh, I think I agree with you. I think I think Magnum Force uh, and uh, I mean I probably put it down to John Milius. Yeah, uh-huh. um, his contribution to Magnum Force. It's just a so. real low down, dirty kind of movie. Um, and it's very much it, in a piece. Uh, uh, it goes with Dirty Harry in terms of its commentary about the um, the sort of 
fascist leanings of uh, police uh, practices mm. in that era, uh, or even in this era. <laughs> Uh, so you know, it's uh, it, it feels it feels like a true sequel, as opposed to the others that uh, maybe the Enforcer. I it's been a little while. Is the Enforcer the one with Tyne Daly? As the, That's the one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's been a little while since I've seen the Enforcer, so I'd like to go and check that out again. But I yeah, love those movies. I mean, all of them are kind of pol- political in terms of political correctness. All of them are a little problematic. Ooh, but, uh-huh. uh, I mean, uh, but I, that's not to say I have a problem with them, but uh, I know that overly sensitive people would watch it and say, oh, my God, that's just awful. And particularly so with The Enforcer, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, but it did surprise me that she was killed in the end. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no, why? We've only had 40 years to see it. Why do you have to let us know the ending so soon? Uh, no, uh, you know, and what I really love about those movies <clears throat> is the uh, I'll, number one: the the San Francisco locations are fantastic. It's like pr- primo seventies uh, San Francisco footage, and then number sure. two, uh, and this this would be primarily. Uh, the Lalo Schifrin scores, you know, which uh, are always uh, all the way through uh, great. I don't know if the last two have Lalo Schifrin scores, but certainly the first three do. And um, Sudden uh, Impact does. I'm not yeah. sure about the last one. Yeah. Oh, it does. Okay. So they 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 stuck with him. That's good. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, th- those those scores are are haunting and uh, and exciting. Uh, some of some of his best work. Uh, uh, I'm glad we got a chance to talk to him about it uh, on the interview. Yeah. But I mean, the, yeah. the enforce the enforcer has stuff like, well, first of all, women in in the police force, and then uh, um, uh, the Black Panthers. It's not it's not really the Black Panthers. They're given another name, but uh-huh. uh, yeah. So you can imagine how sensitively uh, this series tackles both of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both of those hot button uh, issues, uh, but I kind of like I kind of like the fact that it's it's a provocative. It's just daring you to get pissed off. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree that Magnum Force is probably my favorite too. But I I always enjoyed Sudden Impact. I know it's shamelessly manipulative, and <laughs> but it's I always found it to be involving. And then you have the the lesbian character played by Audrey Nina in there that. Makes it gives it a little bit of a, a bite. So yes, I forgot about that character. <laughs> yeah, and, I don't. Th- uh, yeah, I don't think I've revisited it in quite a while because it was just the first my first go round with it back in the eighties was not yeah. pleasant. So uh, so I haven't gone back to it. You know Sandra what I watched Wah. last night? Yeah, uh, this is available on Amazon Prime. And by the way, there's a lot of really good stuff on Amazon. <laughs> Prime. Uh, it's just uh, uh, really, really good stuff that they're not uh, they're not promoting. But uh, they've got uh, Aloha Bobby and Rose on there, the Floyd Mutrix thing that just came out, I guess, on Blu-ray, right? Yeah, we um, just talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I, I saw it. And yeah, and quite quite enjoyed it. I I think Jamie should see it because of the because of it being shot in L.A. He's going to enjoy that. 
Yeah, yeah, you you will dig you that part it. of it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, everything to do with with the film location wise is interesting. You know, every it is every place that they go, every every place that mm-hmm. the scenes are being done at. Uh, there's tons of uh, you know, it, it's got more cars than in it than, than well, maybe not more than American Graffiti, but there's a lot of car stuff in it, and yeah. Um, uh, of course, you know, uh, true to seventies form, you know, it has kind of a sad ending. But um, uh, it, you know, God, how are they able to afford? They have four different big hit Elton John songs in that. How are they able to afford that? And plus, they didn't even give him credit at the end of it. Like they have the whole song role at the end, but there's mm-hmm. no Elton John, Bernie Taupin on the song role. So I was like, wow, that's that's weird. But they've got your song in it and uh and uh Tiny Dancer. Tiny well, Dancer it's called your song. They they probably assumed that the, it was okay to take. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. there's there's a couple yeah, Tiny Dancer or Tony Danza as some people call it. And uh and then uh you know, Goodbye Yellowbrook Road and a few others. But uh uh Gosh, it's a. I I think it's a really terrific movie, <laughs> and that uh, that female lead in it, Diane Hull, I think mm-hmm. uh, is is really memorable in it. Um, so I was so you know taken with the film uh, that uh, I went online and looked for looked for a one sheet for it, which is the ultimate compliment I can pay, and so I got a one sheet coming to me. <laughs> Um, for nine ninety nine, but it's a great one sheet with uh, you know the two stars leaning against the the Mustang and the Hollywood sign in the background, which there's not a lot of one sheets with the Hollywood sign on it. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I said okay, yeah, I got to get this. I've always liked this poster. Um, but, I'll vouch uh, for that. I'll second that emotion on Aloha, Bobby and Rose. We'll put it that way. It's good. It's really, really good. And uh, I was really surprised while I was watching it to see Edward James Olmos pop up as like sort of a, a, a well, he's a pool player who's going up against uh, uh, Bobby in the scene. But um, uh, Diane Hull uh, ended up retiring, who's the female lead, ended up retiring from uh, movies and becoming a um, – Becoming an acting teacher at uh, at the actor studio, um, oh. so I think that's pretty interesting. She's dead now. Uh, I, I think she's still around. All you I guys care she is. about is, <laughs> is whether these people are dead. Uh, no, she's not dead. She's alive. She wasn't murdered horribly. Uh, that's my area of expertise. <laughs> Tim McIntyre, though, is very dead. He's he dead sure of a heart is. attack. He sure <laughs> is. Uh, he's he's. Terrific, and he comes in in the last thirty minutes and really livens the movie up a little bit. And uh, it's 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 a really really good uh, good enjoyable sort of uh, I would call it kind of a Saturday night movie, not a Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon movie, but a Saturday night movie. But uh, it's good. Um, yeah, it's a, it's basically mm. a reworking of Breathless for anybody yeah. who's seen Breathless. It's it's kind of a reworking of almost all, you know. Of course, Breathless is just based on old Hollywood movies, uh, you know, where they said all you need is a girl, you know, a girl and a gun. And of course, the movie has that, <laughs> so it, it introduces <laughs> both of them pretty early on. 
and uh yeah it's it's good but uh there's a really a lot of a lot of good stuff on uh on prime uh right now um uh, you know like uh you know um Jackson County Jail one of um uh Tommy Lee Jones's first movies uh mm-hmm. is on there and uh lots of 80s stuff like Barfly and Pee Wee's Big Adventure Witness uh Mohan Drive is on there uh The Graduate uh they're they're really making an effort to put some good stuff on uh you know the original Gone in sixty seconds. Unfortunately, not with the country soundtrack, but uh, good enough. And um, uh, uh, I got you know King of Comedy and um, uh, all sorts of really great unusual stuff. You know, uh, Ang Lee's first movie, Pushing Hands. Uh, uh, you know, it's it, it's really amazing uh, what they've got, and it really feels like. Uh, <clears throat> they're doing their due diligence, uh, although slowly, in putting a good variety of things up. You know, Rock and Roll High School. You can have a really great rock festival with Rock and Roll High School, uh, uh, The Last Waltz, which is on there right now, and then uh, uh, Stop Making Sense. What could be better than that? Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, it's uh, there's. Uh, all sorts of, you know, David and Lisa is on there. The uh, uh, Kier Dulé movie. Um, Frank Perry. Oh. Yeah, Frank Perry and uh, Frank and Eleanor and uh, that's right. Uh, Abbeville Horror and the uh, Long Riders is on there. Uh, um, uh, Piranha, uh, uh, mm. Bad News Bears, uh, Searching for Bobby Fisher. Uh, it's it, it's. Red River, <laughs> you know. I mean, you I just, give get, I just get frustrated every time. Every time I type in a title in Amazon Prime, it's one that I have to pay for. Like, I have to pay three bucks to see it or something. Like I can never, I can never type in a title that they actually have as part of the package. The best mm. thing to do is to just go through and make your watch list, and then you'll never want for stuff because. Uh, that can be frustrating. I don't think I would try and go onto Amazon Prime with it with a specific title like, "Boy, I hope they have Bringing Out the Dead" or whatever. And then you know the chances are they're not going to have that. Uh, although they do have Age of Innocence right now, but um, uh, you know, uh, going in with a specific title is probably a kiss of death. But uh, but if you go in well, there, kiss of death, you got to pay for. At- yeah, no, you just want to go in and take a look at what's available on Prime right now. Did I, anybody even get that? Is that did that fly over everyone's head? What now? Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? But, yeah, hey, I have a theory. I have a, I have a prediction, actually. Here's my prediction. No matter what happens with the kids in this cave in Thailand, this time next year we will see a movie – Directed by Paul Greengrass <laughs> about this cave thing. Yeah, I think it'll just be like a it'll be some kind of TV movie, but uh, uh, by somebody else, much more anonymous. But uh, you're probably right. I haven't been following what's been going on though. What's 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 happening? I'm in a new, complete news blackout, self-imposed news blackout. 
just a, just 12 kids trapped in a cave with their coach, and it takes six hours to get each of them out, and they've rescued four of them. And the typhoons are coming, and so it's flooding and all that kind of stuff. It's just like a nightmare. And wow, one main seal has actually died. It sounds like Erwin Allen couldn't have couldn't have orchestrated it better. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, and, and, the, you just and the coach is played by Shelley Winters. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> William Holden is in it. Uh, yeah, uh, well, you know, we'll just have to uh, we'll have to see. I, Bo Bridges oh. will be in the movie version. I don't know where, but <laughs> we'll have a part. <laughs> he'll be the he'll be the American cave dwelling expert. Yes. I mean, if it's a, if it's a Michael Bay production, be, we got to get the best cave dw- dwellers in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, these are two more movies I watched on uh, on uh, Prime, but uh, Black Dynamite I had never seen. Uh, that's a fun movie. You know, I, I have a copy of it lying around here somewhere, but I, I never got around to it. It's one of those. It's good, just like just like the real black exploitation movies. Of course, uh, it's a spoof of them, but uh, it gets real old. Like about an hour in, you're like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's exactly the way they are. They're like, they all feel like they're a little too long. And uh, it uses some of that KPM 1000 uh, music, you know, that British oh, nice. label, that yes. 70s. Uh, so they have a uh, they have a track of uh, music that's sort of uh, black exploitation, you know, inspired. That was made mm-hmm. back in the day, back in the 70s. And boy, did they use it! They, I would say, they overuse it, but. Um, because uh, every scene has a different needle drop on it, but uh, they must have come across this KPM 1000 series and said, "Oh my God, this is like gold to us. We, it's like an authentic 70s score for this thing, so we're going to use the hell out of it." But that aside, you know, I mean, the uh, the cam, you know, it's hard to do really authentic bad camera work. You know what I'm saying? Like. It's it's not horribly bad. It's just got it's just little little uh, unpolished. Well, it's intentionally unpolished, you know, because that's the way those movies were. But uh, uh, this movie does it does it really well. Uh, I know the filmmaker went on and did a kung fu movie, I think next, uh, and uh, that one wasn't so successful. Uh, I watched a little bit of that, and uh, I was like, yeah, this isn't this doesn't feel as authentic, but. Uh, but I really enjoyed Black Dynamite, uh, and there's also, you know, a documentary called Heckler that's on there that's hmm. by Jamie Kennedy. Oh, I, yes, I've seen that. That is pretty good, actually. That's not bad. You know, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it talks about hecklers and, you know, in audiences yep. at the, uh, at, at comedy shows, which of course are famously, you know, hated by, uh, I think audience members hate them too, but, uh, but, you know, comedians really don't like them, but, um, uh, it goes into also, interestingly enough, uh, film critics 
and film criticism mm-hmm. as being a extension of uh, the heckler response, which I, I just don't. <clears throat> I don't see the. Uh, I see a connection, but uh, but I never look at myself as being someone who's heckling uh, a bad movie. Um, I know it's done. Uh, I think a lot of film critics have fun doing bad reviews, but I don't. And Rex uh, uh, yeah, he loves them. I think he he just gets off on that. But uh, I I I. To me, it's like going to a funeral or something, and I just hate it. And uh, so I'd rather just talk about stuff I love. And um, so I, I, you know, the whole the whole conflation of those two is uh, suspect to me. But it was an interesting movie, uh, interesting uh, uh, exploration of that. A little bit of a Jamie Kennedy um, ego project. He's a producer on it, and uh, is the pretty much the main subject because he's kind of sitting there just complaining about the bad reviews that his movie got. Uh, some terrible movie he did. But, Son um, of the Mask, I think it was. Oh, yeah, Son of the Mask, right, which I've never seen. I'm sure it's terrible. but um, <laughs> Yeah, I would think. And uh, so I watched that on a double bill with another documentary <laughs> done by a comedian, <laughs> Called Religious. I'd never seen uh, Bill Maher's Religious, and I that's loved awesome. It. I uh, loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I, I I like it. I like it well enough. I mean, it's it's not uh, it's not fantastic, but uh, it's stuff that needs to be said, and, uh, and no one else is saying it. And uh, furthermore, he hasn't really he hasn't really pursued you know uh, doing other movies and so forth. So. Uh, so it's obviously something that was important to him, and um, you know, I, I I agree with a lot of the stuff, but uh, he seems to, you know, Bill Maher seems to have this thing, uh, it, it, like it seems to get on his tit that that, that people are religious uh, because he's not religious. Well, I'm not religious, and I I really don't care if people are. That's <laughs> fine. They're it's fine if they are. It's, I feel the same. Get, if it gets them through the night, that's fine. I mean, just as long as you don't try and push it on me. I mean, you know, don't be obnoxious about it. But, uh, but I'm I wouldn't try and push my atheism on anybody. So, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I it was all right. I frankly I liked <laughs> I liked Heckler a little bit better, but just because I just thought it was a little bit more of an interesting subject matter, but. Uh, but religious was fine, and uh, he does make a compelling argument at the end of the movie during the closing scenes about why religion is dangerous. You know, oh yeah, and that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty good stuff. He makes a good point there about how we, you know, a lot of the religious people think that you know we're going to a better place, so let's just use up all the earth's resources because it yes. doesn't matter. We're going to be, you know, and this right. is where people that come after us have to live. And that's where it gets dangerous, and it makes a good, absolutely pretty, pretty potent point. I think. No question. So, I mean, yeah. usually, usually his final, you know, his uh, his little wrap up thing that he does on the show, uh, you know, the monologue that he does at the end, is one of the best parts of the show, and uh, that's kind of the the uh, uh, the equivalent of that, and so. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. Uh, yeah, I like I like religious. It's got some. Uh, I always laugh when that clip of Spartacus comes on. <laughs> during oh yeah. <clears throat> but my my problem with it, and it's not really a problem. I enjoyed the film enough, but uh, and and that last monologue is very severe. But everything that precedes it, he's he's interviewing such such easy targets. Yeah, that's such true. Light, it's such that is true. There's absolutely there's no one of there's no one of real consequence to challenge him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, and so I, I think I think it falters in that respect. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah, that it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel almost. Yeah, uh, and I, I have to agree. I can't disagree with that. This is a great point. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm done. It yeah. takes. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, it takes. It takes a lot of the drama out of it uh, in a lot of ways, and um, yeah, it's just yeah, disappointing. Um, hey, episode yeah. nine, Star Wars episode nine. I want oh, to make no. sure I can share this with you, Dean. <laughs> Rumor has okay. it that, that Billy D. Williams will be back for episode nine. I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, but fine, make it work, whatever. And uh, Carrie Russell is going is signing on for a part in it. Mm-hmm. So her post-American huh. film career, maybe we'll get a little boost from that. She deserves to have a good film career. I think she's uh, dynamic and uh, and really, really, really good. I'm working on the last season of The Americans uh, now, so. Uh, Yes, it is satisfying. To... I thought. Yeah. I felt. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I like her a lot. Yeah, I do too. Let's see, what else is going on? <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll tell some people about some stuff that I'm doing, and they they might be interested. Uh, some of this is uh, not quite uh, ironed out yet, but. Um, uh, I'm working on a um, uh, on a project with the Atlanta uh, the Atlanta uh, Community Orchestra, which is really a 60 piece orchestra, and I guess we're going to have you know some uh, uh, special musicians coming in. But um, I'm doing this on October. I think it's going to happen around October 1st, 2nd, or 3rd uh, in Atlanta at uh, the Seven Stages Theater here, which has got probably about 350 seats or something like that, maybe a little bit more. Um, Nice venue in the middle of Little Five Points here in Atlanta. But uh, we're going to have music by uh, Nino Rota. We're going to have the theme from uh, Eight and a Half. We're going to have music by Maurice Charre and Michelle Legrand, uh, John Barry, uh, Ennio Morricone, um, Howard Shore, The Suite from Seven. It's a it's a uh, film it's a film music night that you're programming. Yes, yes, it's all film music, and I'm also kind of staying away from uh, from from uh, John Williams. Although I might sneak in some at the very very end, but um, Johnny Greenwood's going to be part of it. Uh, uh, you know some Alex North, some uh, some big new prisoner, uh, Philip Glass, Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, just gonna keep it very um, very lively, 
and um, and there's there's going to be a rock element, rock music element, uh, by uh, a guy named Rob Thompson, who's a kind of a rock star here in Atlanta, and he's going to have a 20 minute segment that's all rock music that I'm programming. So I'm going to be hosting it and uh, and programming it, writing the program, and it'll be really fun. So keep an eye out for that. It won't be the last time you hear about it on the show. And I'm also working on a little project for the Plaza Theater where I'm doing a mural for them. So I'm going into archives right now. I spent a, a day doing this uh, this past week. Uh, going in through the uh, microfilm archives here at uh, one of the libraries uh, nearby. And uh, going back to 1939 um, to uh, research the history of a theater that's in town, the Plaza Theater. And um, I'm going to be doing some uh, artwork for their walls. And uh, uh, so uh, I'm going back to December 39 and researching their entire history uh as uh, evidenced by their newspaper ads and so forth and uh so that should be really interesting and uh uh that should be unveiling uh sometime in, in next year I think so we'll see uh, but I'm getting paid for both of these things yay isn't that good great? deal <laughs> I, uh so uh uh so I'm I'm thrilled uh thrilled that that's the case as well. Um but uh yeah, should be good. So when when we good. Get, get yeah, when it gets closer, we'll have a little bit more information about the mm-hmm. especially the concert, you know. Um But I right. encourage Sight and sound. Yeah, I yes. well, I'm going to fly out for that. So you'll keep us posted and our yes. listeners in the Atlanta area and elsewhere. Sight yes. and sound. The rumor has been, and I know that Tony Macklin is a big proponent of this, that by the next go-round, which what is it? Uh, they're, they're 100 of all time. Is that every 10 years or something? It's every 10 years, and it's in the two-year usually. So it, it won't happen until 22, you know, 22, 2022. Oh, ah, four more years. Yep. Um, yeah, I started saying that last uh, two Novembers ago. So the rumor has been that uh, the general feeling is that um, what is the general feeling that 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 uh, two thousand one oh it's going to overtake. The, the, Will overtake Vertigo in the number one spot. Now the big news last sight and sound list was that Vertigo took over for um, Citizen Kane. What did it yeah. Citizen Kane. Yeah, as the favorite movie of all time, the best critical whatever of all time. So now they're saying 2001. Some part of the contingent believes that Vertigo will be passe by 2022 because of the Me Too movement. No, oh, cool. uh, I don't. Don't quite understand that argument. A, I do. a woman that's easily led, or what, what is yes. it? Okay. Well, you know, she's kind of treated as a she's obviously treated as an object, almost solely as an object of desire. Oh, and, and then the you have what sexual desire. Yeah. 
Well, mm. I don't. He, he. I don't think he made any moves on Kim Novak, but I don't know. I, I don't oh, believe okay. any of that shit. <laughs> I don't. He didn't make any yes. moves on anybody. I, um, I, I, I actually believe it. You do. But, I do. Uh, I kind of do too. Yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I mean, he is Hitchcock. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think he got any play off that. <laughs> no. I, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't believe it. You know, I don't yeah. believe that anybody who was working with, uh, you know, Ingrid Bergman and all that, you know, every, all the most beautiful women in the world, uh, you know, all through the, all through the fifties and the sixties, and the forties. I mean, nobody I said he did it. it. Ingrid Bergman or Grace Kelly. I mean, he knew who he knew who to try to do it to. Yeah, yeah, I think he was he was he was uh, just waiting for the newcomers or whatever. But yeah, well, I, I just, think I think he had been. I read the Donald Spoto biography on him, and which what has I been got largely discredited. Hasn't that bi- biography come under major fire? Well, it may have. I'm not sure, but it I, has. But I mean, I've read other accounts too, and, and kind of the, the the overall picture I've gotten is that he. You know, he he didn't have much of a sex life with with his wife, uh-huh. and he that was one of the things that he, you know, he could kind of look at these actresses and fantasize, and he was able to keep that in check until he wasn't anymore. And he reached the point where he just wasn't able to. You know, that's yeah, what I, I mean, get in, now, in the old in the old age, you know, it might have may it may have happened, but uh, you know, I just, you know, I frankly just don't give a shit. I'm just not mm-hmm. interested. At, at my level yeah. of interest well, in fine. all that's that fine. shit is zero. That's true. That's fine. But, and, but, but that's different. That's different from denying it. It, it could have happened to begin with. Yeah. I, it it could have <laughs> happened. Baba do whatever. But I don't care. <laughs> it just uh, I just and don't. He, he he apparently showed her his Baba do. I mean it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I you know. Uh, I don't. Th- I don't think that happened either. Uh, you know. I think he. He might have tried to kiss her or something like that, but I don't think he showed her his, his Baba Do. <laughs> Whatever that is. But uh, you know, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. He was, well, uh, you know, he was well. pretty sick at that point. He was uh, on heavy blood pressure medication. He could barely get down the aisle to go and get his fucking uh, uh, <laughs> AFI Institute thing. So I just don't Yeah, I don't. man, but that was in that was in the mid the seventies. Yeah, that was in seventy seven, yeah. You're talking about early sixties is is when all this supposedly yeah. uh, lack of a for lack of a better term went down. He was still sixty nine years old. <laughs> he was still uh, he was still seventy years old back then. Because he died at like yeah. eighty two or something, so uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, but the Me Too movement will care because this is a different time and era we live in, and uh, I guess so. But I uh, think stuff like but they that can't do anything it... to Alfred Hitchcock now, can they? No, but they can denigrate his his work. They can you know take it off of its lofty perch, so to speak, with. These things that have come to light, because it does make a difference. I mean, we've seen things that have been. But they could do. But they could do that with everybody. 
And they're trying to. You, they're m- you might as well do, do it to Orson Welles too, because he he did he did bad stuff. I mean, you know, there have been instances in film history where history has been they've they've really tried hard to erase it. I mean, you know, the whole Song of the South thing, of course, that's the most notable thing. But there's a lot of other cases, instances that we could yeah. cite. And now get rid of the, get rid of that racist Gone with the Wind. Anyway, <laughs> there's my 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 whole my whole point of this thing, and I don't, I don't believe that you should erase erase history as a means mm-hmm. of healing or whatever. I, you know, it's so much bullshit. But uh, my whole point with it, of this is: Do you think 2001 it will be the number one in 2022? I think it stands a good chance. It probably really, will be. Yeah, sure. It probably will be. I can see I, that happening. And plus, uh, plus, there's no reports of Stanley Kubrick ever molesting anyone. <laughs> yeah, that should be good. And Hal certainly wasn't able to uh, uh, molest mm. anyone, so that's perfect. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Shelley Duvall might put the kibots on that. You never know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That was that was that was absolute abuse. Um, uh, actually, I really don't know. It was abuse. He could be. He could have been tricking her. But um, uh, yeah. Well, I think that's going to happen. I was expecting it to happen sooner, but uh, I've always just felt a little uh, coolness towards people's love of uh, uh, vertigo, and even extending that further even to the critical love of vertigo it's like um i don't know you got a million you got a hundred movies in front of you one of them is vertigo you got time to watch one of them is that the one you're going to (laughs) pick i don't think so that's a tough movie to sit through that's a tough sit and uh i have a weird relationship with vertigo because i when I was young, you know, in my teens, it was one of these movies that people talked about, and I, I watched it, and I frankly didn't get it at all. Uh-huh. Like, I just don't get it. And so I tried again in my late twenties when they reissued it for the, I guess it was the fortieth anniversary. They did a thirty-five millimeter brand new restoration. They went yeah. back and did the Vista Vision, in the 90s. Re- yeah, yeah, all that, and I saw it at an AMC on a huge screen. And again, just didn't connect with it at all. I said, well, I don't know about this. It was about five years later, and I caught it uh, when they when they did a DVD release of it. And it just immediately clicked with me right then and there. And maybe, it, it, maybe it works better when you become a desperate old man. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think, well, you have to, the key to that movie is you have to have suffered some loss in your life i think that's it you have to yeah if you have never suffered loss i was a teenager young dumb naive whatever Uh, you know i don't think i'd lived enough to appreciate that and by the time i was in my mid-30s my marriage was crumbling you know i was faced with the prospect of you know i'd lost all of my grandparents four of them in the space of seven years and you know those prospect of my my kids being moved 80 miles away from me by my ex-wife and i mean there's a lot going on for me and it just Mm. It it connected, you know, yeah. totally con- connected with me, and not to get into my boring personal stuff, but <laughs> but it just it just really hit me, and it's been at the top of my list ever since. It, huh. Uh, huh. And my father saw it in a theater in 1958. To go even farther, he saw it when it came out, and he said for years, "Well, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it." 
And I, I urged him. I said, I plead with you to go back and watch Vertigo again now that you've lived. And the verdict? You've, yes, and he loved it. He okay. loved it. He went back and he just said, he said, I, I, further, I get it. Do you think that further proves your thesis? I thought I think it does to a certain degree. I mm, think okay. uh, I would never show it to my kids. Let's put it that way. They they wouldn't get it. They'd be bored out of their. It's wits. not a young person's movie. Yeah. In it's other words, never. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know. You know that that's interesting. Uh, I you know I respect that, uh, and uh, and I respect the movie too. I there's a lot in it I love, obviously. Uh, but it's just not my favorite uh, Hitchcock, and I I. I I guess I, you know, in a way I agree with you because I find the movie discomf- discomforting. Uh, it is. Uh, it in, is. In that way, I suppose. And, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, and as someone who's not incredibly successful with women, you know, I can uh, kind of uh, uh, empathize uh, with, uh, I guess, the Hitchcock point of view and also the point of view of the uh Jimmy Stewart character and so forth, trying to recapture the past and recreate recreate it. Uh, but um, I just it's 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 a movie that uh, really, frankly, just <laughs> kind of sends me to sleep after after a little <laughs> bit. It's, there's that long sequence where he's following her, and <clears throat> boy, uh, it is knockout. <laughs> I mean, and I mean knockout in the sense of knockout drops, not in the sense of. Uh, not in the sense of you know Rocky Balboa well, knocking t- somebody t- out. Tony and I were Tony and I were talking about it like five or six years ago, and that's that's the point that we brought up that it, that it it does take some life experience to mm-hmm. to latch onto the the themes of the movie. Uh-huh. Uh And I I, I think it, it could it could and it probably is the most deeply felt of Hitchcock's movies. But uh, and I do enjoy the movie. I mean, just the photography alone. Keeps oh, me yes. uh, uh, engaged. Yeah, I like the but, look uh, and listen it, of but, it. But yeah. like like Dean, I mean, it it isn't my favorite, and I'm I am I am perplexed in some cases what the general consensus is of of an artist's best movie. Like I, I have always been kind of confounded why of all of David Lynch's movies, Mulholland Drive is the one that overtakes everyone. Yeah, I just so you know I I don't know why that is. It became a kind of a, a consensus thing, you know, for a little while. Uh, you know, personally, I think it should be Eraserhead. I think that's the most Lynchian movie that there is. Period. Bong. That's it. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's just, you're not going to get any more David Lynch than that. But um, but uh, I guess a lot of people uh, haven't gone. Maybe a lot of people haven't gone back to take a look at uh, Eraserhead. Although, if you're a David Lynch fan, boy, you should do that immediately. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly why Mulholland Drive. I think because you know it's one of his movies that has a success. In fact, it might be one of the few movies you know other than Blue Velvet, that has a serious su- succession of incredible scenes. I mean, that there are so many good scenes in Mulholland Drive. You know that whole Howard Hawks thing of like a really good movie has three great scenes and no bad ones? Um, uh, that's uh, This movie has 
uh, like ten great scenes, and uh, uh, <laughs> there might be a bad one in there, but uh, I can't name what it is right now. Uh, and uh, and even if even if you think a scene is bad in there, you know, I could probably make a really great argument for it being great. Uh, I mean, what's better than that scene with 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 the cowboy coming in? Uh, what's better than the scene with uh, Naomi Watts doing the doing that uh, scene with Chad Everett uh, uh, out of the soap opera and knocking it out of the park? I mean, there are so many great scenes. What's better than the scene of uh, uh, you know Naomi Watts trying to make love to Alina uh, 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 Herring and and sort of uh, being uh, rebuffed and then. Then we find out it's a masturbation session, and she's having trouble with. So it, it, there's there's just tons of great stuff in that movie. Um, so now I'm now I'm convincing myself that maybe it deserves to be in the top. So yeah, you know. Uh, well, yeah. And, I, I I mean I, I my favorite Lynch movie is not what I what I think is his best movie, but. But I mean, because my favorite is Wild Heart, but I wouldn't say that that's his best movie. It's mm-hmm. just the one I respond to most. I think uh, structurally and in, 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 in every way, I think his his best overall movie is uh, Blue Velvet. So, mm-hmm. so my my, curi- my curiosity has always been why Mulholland Drive over mm. Blue Velvet or or anything else. I agree, and and it's the most recent on the list. That and in the mood for love are the two most recent entries. You know, here's here I have a I have a suggestion as to an answer to this, and uh, uh, though Blue Velvet does veer into the sort of dreamlike language that David Lynch is famous for, it does go into it quite a bit, but. It always feels like it's totally grounded in in a sort of off off brand reality. Um, it never uh, whereas whereas Mohan Drive and Eraserhead totally feel like complete dream movies. Uh, they are about the dream, uh, and in fact, uh, I you know you could say the same thing probably for Inland Empire and. Uh, and uh maybe uh maybe lost highway uh at least part of it but um uh yeah i uh, i think that's the reason i think that's that's well and and that's a good that's a good argument for blue velvet being a more pure expression of lynch's art because lynch has always been a uh i don't know if midwesterner is right but uh mm-hmm. He's always been an, an okie dokie industrial industrial town, wood, lumber, all that kind of shit. He's mm-hmm. always been the small town and the surrealism that lurks underneath the surface of that small town environment. Uh, in Mulholland Drive, he's he's he, he's setting his movie in Dreamland already. It's Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's the glamour of Hollywood. So I, I mean, I, I I feel like Blue Velvet is a, is a more authentic expression of who Lynch is. Or his, what makes him so particular, such a specific kind of personality. I like Blue Velvet because it feels like a more complete, like the most complete movie, and kind of a kind of a compromise between the dream-like 
uh, David Lynch and the uh, the David Lynch that's more grounded in the reality. But uh, I I I like the humor in it. I, I I like you know Dennis Hopper and uh, and of course there was just something about Blue Velvet that just hit you like a ton of bricks when it came out. It was just uh, it was well I knew about David Lynch, but. Uh, uh, but this, it was, uh, it was uh, completely revelatory. It was, big, it was a big cultural event. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, <clears throat> and uh, and it, I still, I still find it like I was watching Blue Velvet recently, and uh, I was just going to watch a little bit of it, and I just had to stick with it all, which is something I can't say uh, necessarily about uh, you know the other two movies that I'm championing, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, he's, he's, and it's also it's also weird because there's there's TV movie in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of his TV series that's in that movie that was yeah, shot what? for TV. Yeah, uh, yeah, which isn't a, which isn't a criticism. It's just it just makes it an odder choice for yeah. one of the greatest movies of all time. You know. I think that's one of the things that makes it interesting too, because uh, I, and I think that's one of the reasons it's being championed is that he was able to um, so successfully take something that had turned into a disaster in his hands and uh, and remake it into something uh, something that was uh, that means a lot to a lot of people. So, uh, but, but look, would you like? You of all people, Dean, if any other director had made a movie that that half or whatever quotient of that movie consists of something that was made for TV, and they're nominated at the Oscars, if it was anybody but Lynch, would you would you throw a fit? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, you know, if it was, uh, nah, I don't think so. I mean, you know, if the if the situations are the same, you know, they made it for TV, they couldn't release it. Uh, they took it. They rejiggered it. Yes, I, 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 I'd give the uh, anybody else uh, the benefit of the doubt. Uh, <laughs> even Bernard Kowalski <laughs> or whoever, you know, somebody. I'm trying to think of one of those uh, TV movie directors. Tom Grease. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd give them the benefit of that. Adam, Adam, what do you think? Would, would, would Dean give him the benefit of the doubt? <laughs> would he give him the benefit of the doubt? I think so. I would. I think so. <laughs> if, they, if, I think if, so. If, if they nominated that Incredible Hulk movie that you're so crazy about, <laughs> you'd be like, well, this is bullshit. I like the movie, but uh, it's, not, it's not like a movie movie. It was TV. Yeah, I, I would have to take uh, umbrage with that because as much as, as, as well done as it is for what it is, I would have to say this is not this is not That's what I'm saying. At bullets. least half of Mulholland Drive is that Incredible Hulk movie. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> as moving as it is, <laughs> it doesn't belong here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, anyway, I yeah, bet Mulholland Drive will be hitting the uh, the sight and sound list uh, one of these days. Yeah, it would surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, I was that gonna was say the point I thought it was. It up. It's on there. It's the most recent ti- uh, most recent title that's on there. It's like in the, the top hundred, but it's not in the top ten. Oh no, no. Yeah, it's not. In the th- it's in the top hundred though. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, there's a couple of recent th- what in the mood for love is the other one that uh, yeah. made the yeah. top hundred. I think. What well, um, I've never really connected with that one either. I think it's okay, but I, I, I just I I don't know. It just didn't quite do it for me. Uh, I like it as a kind of a meditative, uh, yeah. uh, a meditative film, and I love looking at it. I think it's beautifully designed, and uh, uh, you know the uh, great costume design and incredible. Oh well, we should mention uh, Robbie Mueller passed away. Yeah, that was. Uh, I did yeah. not know that he was, you know, nearing his 80s. For some reason, with the name Robbie Mueller, my picture of him was like this, uh, you know, 50-ish looking kind of uh, Michael Fassbender type looking guy. Uh, I don't think I'd ever seen a picture of him, um, and I had no idea that he was that aged. So uh, so he was nearing 80, uh, but... Uh, Boy, he was one of the greats for sure, and uh, a great cinematographer. Uh, I mean, who will be able to do that type of, um, you know, handheld work that's in, you know, uh, the Lars von Trier movies like Breaking the Waves and uh, and so forth. Uh, that handheld work is the best handheld work that's ever been done. It's, uh, you know, outside of documentaries. Uh, it just has a mastery of uh, movement, mm-hmm. uh, a mastery of the use of the uh, focus pull and the uh, and the zoom. Um, it's it's absolutely absolute perfection, and just the whole idea of shooting it on one uh, uh, format and then transferring it to sixteen and then blowing it up to thirty five, all that stuff that he did that process. I'm not sure. If the complete details, but it was very, very painstaking, you know, to get that sort of fat grain that's in that movie and in a few of the others like Dancer in the Dark and so forth. Um, Yeah, that's a tremendous loss. And we're not even talking about the stuff that he did with vendors or, uh, you know, he's just, he was just a force. So, and someone else big uh, passed away. Claude Lanzman, Claude Lanzman, right? Yeah, directed show. I was gonna, that's what I was going to talk about earlier when I said I forgot what I had on my mind. That's what uh, it was. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now the Showa is, and I think I've only seen maybe one other thing that he's done. Uh, have we? <clears throat> first of all, have we all seen Showa, or is that uh, too, too much? It's been a while. Yeah. I, I have. Seen it, but we're talking fifteen, twenty years. So yeah. I, I, my memories of it are spotty. I just remember it was it was interesting in that they didn't, you know, visit any of the the actual locations. It was just basically talking heads and their stories, and and that's a good approach. I mean, it's powerful just the way it is. Uh, but he was an interesting guy. He was very cantankerous, and I understand that he was very critical of. Uh, Schindler's List, which I thought was interesting. Well, I'm sure him. he probably thought Schindler's List was, uh, you know, full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Also, also probably way too sentimental, uh, because he he um, Landsman uh, kind of shies away from the sentimental sentimentality 
in uh, his movies, and uh, and they're pretty much just the facts, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, yeah, I think his argument about Schindler's List, if I understand it correctly, was that he made the holo- he felt like that it made that Spielberg had turned the Holocaust into a commodity. That was his the the thesis of his. <laughs> Could could I that, wonder if that, Spielberg could have done anything? <laughs> yeah. Could could Spielberg, you know, in the eyes of Claude Landsman, could Spielberg have done anything mm. to a movie about the Holocaust except turn it into a commodity? I, I mean, know. Of course, of course, once Spielberg puts his name on it, it becomes a commodity. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. So. Yeah, but yeah. but also also he might have felt a tinge of jealousy too because. Sure. Spielberg made it his life's work to also uh, interview all the surviving members of the camps uh-huh. uh, as, as part of the, the library that he kind of built, That's the true. archive that he built. Yeah, and of course he did the, he did a, he did a couple of documentaries afterwards too, didn't he? Like the uh, uh, what was it, the the Road Home or something like that? Is mm-hmm. that yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, he did a couple of documentaries afterwards. So, man, remember call, remember Pauline Kael's review of Shoah? That was the one review that they begged her not to publish. <laughs> like, Listen, we'll give, you, we'll give you anything you want. We just don't want to publish this negative review of Shoah because it was blasphemy to review something like that negatively. No, oh, yeah. let me just let me just say this: when I was in back back in Georgia State. Uh, I went to the critic screenings of Shoah. Took two days out of my life. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, pretty much a six-hour investment each time, each day. It is. And uh, you know, travel time and everything. But uh, mm. I, I, my my review was also partially negative. I mean, I I respected the movie, but I really and I still don't understand this to this day. I don't understand why the movie insists on um, uh, keeping in, like, okay, so, okay, one guy knows German, the other guy knows Polish, so they're asking the question in German, and then we get the question back, the answer in Polish, and then it gets translated to German again, and then we get the subtitle. It just it just takes forever. That's why the movie is eight hours long. It's because they go through this long, uh, uh, circuitous way of asking the questions and getting the answers. And we're just sitting there, like, why couldn't <laughs> couldn't this streamline somehow? This guy's supposed to be a genius, isn't he? Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it didn't have to be eight hours long, but I think he just wanted to, uh, I think he wanted to give us a sense of, uh, I think he wanted to give us a sense of torture. <laughs> I, really, I do. I, I think that he wanted to give us a sense of, a sense of, uh, uh, just what it was like to be trapped, you know, just for eight hours. You know, uh, in misery. Uh, uh, I think he wanted to give us that, so I think that yeah. worked. You know, his contribution. <laughs> <laughs> misery, misery. That's his contribution, and, and not the Rob yeah. Iron film. Yeah, right. Pure yeah. misery. 
But he did it well. So All right. Let's just put it. Mm-hmm. And we were never able to get Robbie Mueller. I try. I tried over the years for our cinematography series. Too bad. Never happened. That's been good. too bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, are there any interesting guests she, on the horizon? No, I have nobody. A, I have a couple of people that uh, I've I've lined up. We're just I'm just waiting for their schedule to clear. But I, I Sam Irvin, who was the Brian De Palma's assistant on Dress to Kill and The Fury, I asked him to come on and talk about The Fury for the 40th. Okay. He said he would do it, but he's uh-huh. directing a film right now, and he's waiting to wrap production on it. It's uh, that he's he's busy with that, and so as soon as he finishes, he said he's going to drop me a line, and let me know when he's got a a moment. And then uh, Ray Morton wanted to, who did our thing about Close Encounters last year, and I thought he did a terrific job. He uh, he said he'd like to come back on sometime, and I said, well, you pick something that you that's got an anniversary coming up. And he says that I know we've done a Superman the movie before, but he talked to Tom Mankiewicz, who was the uh, well, he's the creative the consultant, they, right. but he's really the writer. Yeah, he's credited as a creative consultant. But he talked to Mankiewicz not long before he died, and had really in-depth conversations with him and Richard Donner. And he has all this material for a Superman book that he never got around to getting published, and so he wanted to do that. So I said, "Well, I'm I'm game for that." So <laughs> I guess I have to record something for uh, the intro for the uh, Bill Tush interview, which uh, you know Bill Tush uh, used to uh, host the uh, Academy Award Theater uh, yeah. in uh, uh, on uh, WTBS. Uh, back in the 80s and the 90s uh, and the 70s. Um, and really that became, that whole template became TCM, basically. Uh, but uh, uh, so I talked to him about not only uh, hosting that show, but also hosting his own uh, uh, comedy show uh, called Tush uh, back in the early 80s. So, uh that's an hour long conversation and it's still sitting in the can. I've got to uh uh I've got to record the intro and everything. But uh so that that I know that's coming up soon. Uh I'm gonna try and reach out to a couple other people. I'd like to get Mike yeah. Nesmith on the show. I just well, you know, after watching Head again, uh a couple of weeks ago, uh I'm just convinced that's one of the great movies greatest movies ever. Well, <laughs> I, I just am. It is, but he's having a health crisis right now. I didn't. I know. Yeah, so I, I don't I know, know if he'd be up about for that. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's let's hope he he gets well. But um, well, I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, I just I just remembered. Like I mean, I I think I've got one interview in the can that's uh, Diane Cannon that I never. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. Yeah, really. Yeah. I but, wanted to uh, hear that. Man, I, I'm also like. A, Although uh, I lost some interviews, like I conducted some interviews and lost them. Uh, that happens my to the best. Cr- my my computer crashed, uh-huh. and so uh, on the lesser end, I w- we were going to do like a an anniversary show for um, Greece. So there was the Randall Kleiser interview, and that's gone. Uh, uh, we were never able to publish that. We were going to do an anniversary show for that movie Summer School, and so we had. Uh, the guy that plays Chainsaw. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, that's a little bit less of a loss. <laughs> that was that. That's gone. Uh, 
<laughs> and then uh, we had Miguel Ferrer uh, doing oh. all the, uh, oh. the best concert. And yeah. so was he. And, yeah. And see, yeah, he's gone too. Jeez. Oh, that's that that last one hurts. But uh, uh, sure yeah. does. Yeah. Well, um, I've lost some interviews too over the years. So, uh, uh, I guess uh, my Neil Patrick Harris interview that I did a long time ago when he did <laughs> Clara's Heart <laughs> in the late eighties. Wow. Uh, I lost that interview. I had it on the tape and lost the interview completely. So I wasn't able to print it. Uh, but uh, that's the only one that I've ever uh, that I've ever lost. Okay, oh. we got a list here, uh, and oh. I'm not going to go through the list. I'm just going to tell you. I'll go through a couple of uh, interesting titles on the list. The list is the ten most polarizing movies of all time. Uh, and it's how not could a, it's anybody not great, tell this? <laughs> okay, it's not, a, it's not a great list. Okay. But here are a couple of titles from it. And uh, you guys can tell me, are they rightfully polarizing? What side of that debate do you fall on? Blah, blah, okay. Peck and Paw Straw Dogs. Certainly polarizing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, never been one of my favorites. I know that's a, a huge favorite of uh, yours. Uh, I uh, uh, am I correct, Jamie? You you love no. that movie, right? No, <laughs> no, I, I don't. I'm I don't love it. No. Oh, okay. I like right. I like it fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, uh, I could be conflating your opinion with somebody else's, but um, uh, yeah. I think Jerry loves Peck and Pa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's he it. Probably likes yeah. Pa. Yeah, I I I uh I like part of it, but uh um you know, it's just it's not a movie I would I would ever choose to go back to and I think it's rather simplistic and uh and also just uh just the whole idea of it, you know, you got to you got to man up and and you got to learn to fight, you know, that kind of thing. It's just uh I would do whatever. Yeah, I like. I'm I'm a Jamie. I like it just fine. I, I it's something I return to from time to time. I don't watch it regularly, but I I do have a have a grudging affection for it. So I'd rather watch uh you know Junior Bonner. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good one too. I'm, I'm uh, serious. No complaints. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Hitchcock did show her. His uh, junior boner. Uh, I, guess I, <laughs> I think that's uh, yeah. It was a senior boner. Yeah, I like Straw Dogs fine, and I understand why it was so controversial. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. He was counting mm-hmm. on that. I do, I do find it slightly ridiculous, like the brainy mathematician that all of a sudden becomes Charles Bronson at the end by, the, uh, yeah. by necessity. Uh, agreed. Uh, it is a bit much. And I also hate yeah. – I, I hate the sound – I like the score to the movie, Oscar-nominated mm-hmm. score, but uh, I, I hate the sound of it, like the – I hate that uh, you know that practice in in the seventies that seemed. Uh, I guess the, the Nagra tape recorders were giving them trouble or something, whatever. But uh, 
there's so much ADR in it, you know, of them having to go in and it just sounds phony, you know, that phony dialogue that sounds like it's being recorded in a booth. I just hate that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But the last half hour is so skillfully edited. That's the thing. It's the technique of it, I guess, that gets me. It's it is the technique is pretty incredible, and I they saved the best stuff in for the last of it. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's that that's so, a that's a good technique to fool people into thinking they saw a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree. And it's still the it's still one of the most uncomfortable experiences I've ever had mm. seeing that remake. And, and blasting it on my Facebook page, and then having Rod Laurie respond uh, to it. Yeah, I was like, oh well, shit, I forgot he was my my friend on here. Uh, <laughs> oh well. But, uh, but I did hey, interview listen, him. Listen, here's I did, the I did idea. interview him before I saw it, and I yeah. said, and, and I wish I would have interviewed him after I saw it because I thought what he did with his remake, and why bother doing it? Why bother remaking a movie just to take all the bite out of it? Mm-hmm. Uh, he removed every single ounce of venom that, uh, and uh, outrage and provoc- uh, provocation that Peckinpah infused the first mm-hmm. one with. And I, well, I, who knows? Boy, that, that might not have been his decision or whatever. It could have been the mm-hmm. decision of the studios to, insisting that it be removed. Know. It was his it project. Was a, I know, but it's a different era. He, he's, he's, not, he's not Spielberg. That's why he, that's he, why he wanted to make it. That's why he know, wanted but, to reflect a, a different era. And I, but I it want, doesn't. Why this one? Yeah, but I'm, I'm just. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm just saying it's I, possible I don't, I don't think that it, it's I don't taken think it was out of his hands by the studio. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't tampered with by the studio. Uh, okay, his, well, who, his, kn- who knows? <laughs> his, his creative decision making was completely his own, and he stood by it. He he wanted to make a homogenized straw dogs, which I thought I, was pointless. I don't. I don't understand that. <laughs> um, who wants to see that? But okay, whatever. Bye. All but right, I like moving Mark on. Lee generally, generally he's great. he's a great guy, and I I, I like his films generally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, also on this list, Salo, hundred hundred twenty days of Sodom. Never seen it. Never want to see it. Uh, Adam even sent me a copy of it. He said, "Here it is." He sent me a copy. It came in the mail. I was like holding it with pinchers and putting it into a and putting it into a, a, a lead line box. But no, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I will never watch that movie. I'm not interested. Uh, I don't care what it has to say. I don't care about its insights or whatever. Uh, I'm just not watching it. Well, <laughs> I value my sanity, and uh, uh, you know, I don't. Uh, I have very little of it, and uh, I don't need to be squandering it on on some uh, literally shitty movie from the. <laughs> yeah, that, that is uh, literally. Um, well, I guess it would come as no surprise that I own it on Blu-ray, so. <laughs> And I do. Yeah, because you want to yeah. you want to get the highest resolution possible on exactly. On that film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I have the I have the BFI special edition to make it even worse. Uh. Uh, you know, it's not the kind of movie you can recommend to people. That's for sure. But it it is. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say you like it, but but the the craft and the technique of it and the and and the the message that he's trying to convey in his way. I don't know. There's there's something about it that I that I appreciate, even though I, I have to say, 
that it is it is a disturbing film and certainly not something I would recommend to everyone. Pop it in on your next date night. Adam? No. Come no, on! It, it is a movie, the times I have seen it, I, I've always been alone. I make sure that I'm alone when I watch it. Your that mom's one not movie you want to watch alone. Or... You want to make yeah. sure the house is completely after, empty. Uh, yeah. You don't want anybody else to see you masturbating to it. Right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. No, you, All right. you don't All even right. want anybody in another room in the house. Let's put it that way. You want to make sure the house is completely empty. So it's Is it a thing. noisy movie? Is it noisy? No, it's quiet. It's okay. pretty quiet, actually. Okay. But it's... Okay. Uh, but but you know and you and you can and watching it you can understand why Pasolini was was stabbed to death literally over that movie you know that, just a couple of months after its release you, ever see you the, see it did you ever see the uh, Abel Ferrara movie on that I did I did Is that any good I, I thought it was kind of dull actually until I it tried to the, watch it it's with Willem Dafoe right yeah. yeah right yeah he looks a lot like him and yeah. He, he captures the essence of Pasolini, but but I found it to be dull. It kind of picked up during the last half hour when it was, you know, when things were escalating and leading up to his murder. But, uh huh. But um, I remember you know, feeling just, very zonked out by it. I was too, for the most part, and I hated. Oh. It's a compelling story. I, I thought there was great opportunity like for something a, there. It was like yeah. Abel Ferrara's Vertigo for Dean. I want to. <laughs> uh, yeah. I want, I'd rather see a Sal Minio movie myself. Yeah. That's <laughs> true. Anyway. That's true. Well, go. You should. Didn't. Uh, yeah, Franco played Sal Minio in a movie he directed, right? Uh it's possible. Uh, seems like it. Seems like he did. I don't seems, know if it's available, but he he did. Seems like seems like mm-hmm. terrible casting on his part. Casting mm. him. He's, he's casting him, or he's not playing Sal Minio, is he? Because Way too old for him, and way too way too blonde. And <laughs> I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny when uh, when he directed that uh, interior leather bar movie about the deleted scenes from William Friedkin's Cruising. <laughs> and so he uh, he directed it, and he was finished with it, and he went to show it to William Friedkin, and. Uh, Freaking said, I, yeah, I, I heard about this, that you made a movie about all the deleted stuff from cruising. The only thing is, there was no deleted stuff from cruising. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. Great. Kind of deflated. Wow. Uh, number yep. two. Uh, well, they're number two on this list. It's irreversible. Uh, another movie that, uh, really, frankly, I haven't sat through and I'm not interested <laughs> I saw it. I I didn't care for it. I just didn't do anything for me at all. I've seen the scene that everybody loves. You know, that every, you got to see this. It's fun. You know, the smashing the guy's face with the with the um uh, with the fire extinguisher or fire whatever over and yeah. over again. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Bye. But okay. I love. I love just to show that I'm like totally like not. You know, not in the Gasparino camp or whatever. I love, love, love Enter the Void. So I think that's an amazing right, movie. Well, that's good. That's that's reassuring. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess Adam, I'd like your take on this because <laughs> we we talk about this stuff to death. 
over the years. But I have—I don't know what you feel about this. Uh, Eyes wide shut. Where do you fall on it? Oh, I admire it. I—I I do. I think uh, you know it's a—it's a movie that improves. I think every time you see it, which is the best kind. And I, I, you know, when I saw it the first time, I, I liked it. Didn't, can't say I loved it, but I've I've reached the point where I can actually say now that I, uh, and I, you know, I'm more in the love camp than like. Now it's it's grown, and that's simply through repeat viewings. And um, I, I I think that it's it's good, quite good, actually. So that's my my take on it. I uh, I loved it. Completely from the beginning, uh, with the exception of you know, I think it gets a little slow. Uh, <laughs> some people out there will be like a little slow, but uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I've always I feel the same way about it that I always did. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I do think. That in the past few years, that movie has, has enjoyed a renaissance uh, of new kind of appreciation. Yeah, and I, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot when I first saw it too. And, and like most Kubrick movies, there was some some element to it that still felt uh, elusive, uh, like purposefully so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there was a lot of. Uh, mystery in the movie and um in beneath the surface uh it it wasn't like uh they they cut they cut something out or something to make it confounding it wasn't confounding necessarily it was just there was there was it felt enigmatic um in a way and uh, every time i i return to that movie i i continue to embrace that enigma uh, the big part of what I like about it. Um, so yeah. I, I I get a lot out of Ice White. And I've, I said from the beginning that Ice White Shut is one of my favorite Kubrick movies. Uh, as soon as I saw it, but back then I didn't really like Kubrick, so it wasn't saying very much. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's. Like I said in my review, uh, my reviews on filmicability, and it's really a reprint of a, re- of a review I did back in ninety, uh, you know, in, in the in ninety nine or whatever. But um, you know, it's one of the great dream movies. It really takes its place alongside, you know, Eraserhead and uh, you know, Bunuel movies and so forth. As 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 one of the uh, and you know, Kevin and Caligari. As being one of the great dream movies, uh, I, w- I would also put uh, you know last year at Marion Bad in that in that category and um, yeah so well maybe just, maybe it is but I don't and and that's an interesting aspect of the film but I tend not to I tend not to read any of that as a as a dream oh like if 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 anything I I think it's kind of interesting to think that everything except what happens at night. Is a dream, and not literally, but in that he was sleepwalking through his life, mm. and uh, and it took it took this uh, this one moment where his foundations are shaken to go out and 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 it's like if you go out into the world with a certain point of view, and in this case he goes out into the city night 
with a certain point of view, you reflect that point of view in everything you see. Yes. Uh, and I, I think that was his his journey that night. Um, but then again, I mean, yeah, could be totally wrong, but I, I do think it's an interesting read on it that I'm not fully committed to. But uh, but that's the strength of a Kubrick movie is that what is it? You know, well, you, you know, I mean, it comes, comes from the novel, dream novel. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. so I, I have to assume that there's a little bit of that in the movie and uh, and um, or Trom Novell as was is what it's really named. But, uh, uh, you know, and it's written by Schnitzler, who was a protege of, of uh, you know, Freud and. Uh, so it's it's very much uh, I think it's very much a movie about dreams and 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 uh, and it's it's pretty pretty bald faced in it I mean so it's at, even the almost the, go into the last line you know so no mm-hmm. dream is is just a dream you know is what she asks and um, so uh, uh, yeah I, I I you know it's it's. I think it's 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 a sign of its strength that it can be interpreted in many ways, but uh, but that's that's my choice of uh, interpreting. Yeah, and I I, I, I never thought it. I never I n- never felt it was a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because um, I, I just thought that was too 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 much of an obvious choice for him. Mm. But uh, you know it could be. Yeah, uh, and he he had been known to change source material. Uh, yep. For his own purposes. Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> and you know he was interested in that shit too, because uh, I mean he was he was already a David Lynch fan at that time. So I mean, yeah. uh, so you know, if Schnitzler were alive, he'd he'd want to make his own TV movie version of his novella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, Any more uh, on that crazy list? No. Uh, no, there's nothing, stuff like Avatar and crap like that. Oh, forget it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the quicker we th- we forget Avatar, the the better we'll all be. And, and uh, I know that's going to be a lot more difficult in the next coming years. But uh, can we all just try and band together and make the next Avatar a complete crashing uh, failure? <laughs> can we I, please do I that? I very... I'm very fond of Avatar, and I'll tell wow. you why. I, 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 I don't think it's a good movie, but uh, I, I bet Jason O'Brien that it would be the biggest movie of the year, and he laughed at me. And when it turned out to be the biggest movie of all time, I felt pretty puffed up. Okay. Well, very good. I my story about Avatar is I was going to uh, I was going to AA at the time. And I uh, just got out of Avatar, and it came slinking into AA, and I just looked crushed. And they said, "They said, uh, you know, it was time my time to share or whatever." And I said, "I just feel like just killing myself today." I, really? Why? Uh, because I just saw this movie that's supposed to be the future of movies, and if this is the future of movies, then. Uh, my love for this uh, for this art form is dying, uh, and uh, so I say, well, Avatar, ugh, boy, stay away, unclean, unclean, and 
Uh, so it was literally a movie that uh, put me into a depression uh, for, for a few days, and uh, and so I just can't even return to it. Mm. Horrible. I did want to bring okay. this up just real quick. Okay. <laughs> a, did anybody get a chance to see the Karate Kid sequel online? Cobra, no, the Cobra, Cobra Kai. Kai. Oh, I've oh, heard good YouTube things about it. Series. Huh? Yeah, the, the YouTube the, series. Yeah, the YouTube series, exactly. Uh, with with uh, um, with the original you. cast <laughs> involved in it. Um, yeah. I got through three episodes of it, and then I said, "I've had enough. Mm. <laughs> I can't watch it. I can't watch it anymore." It's just really, really. Actually, it was more well directed than I was expecting, and then it really had to be. But uh, I thought just the acting was was terrible, and really, the acting was terrible and the writing was terrible. But I know it's a, it was a big hit. Sure uh, is going and, for a second season. Yeah, going in for going in for a second season. So I'm glad it's a hit or whatever, you know. It's uh, and I can't say that I gave the whole thing because there was a lot of episodes there. It was there was like 18 episodes of it or something. I was like, I'm not up for an 18 episode. <laughs> Karate Kid sequel. There's so much so story to mine there, really. <laughs> yeah, that's like eight hours or whatever. Forget it. You know, thirty minutes an episode. <laughs> uh, that uh, is that is one of the best worst movie songs ever. You're the best around. Oh yeah, first Karate Kid. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> can we can we make that the uh, closing yeah. uh, number today? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Without a doubt. <laughs> well, now I'm wondering at what point are they going to work in Hillary Swank into this uh, reboot since she was oh. the next Karate Kid. So. Do you think you, you think she would stoop to be in it? Hey, listen, I, I, I think I, she I think she probably would. I, I think I mean, so. Yeah, you might be right. You talk about the cur- the curse of the best act- actor actress winners. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she's she falls into she's that one too. Yeah. So she's got double the curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor sweet. I mean, give this woman a good role. <laughs> yeah. The last good thing that I saw her in uh, that I thought she was great in was uh, the Homesman, right? The uh, the uh-huh. Tommy Lee Jones movie. Uh, uh, right. uh, that was that was she was very good in that. Uh, <clears throat> but she was uh, you know kind of beside the point in the uh, Soderbergh movie, <laughs> uh, Logan Lucky. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That just sucks. I mean she's got it is, it infinite does. talent it's not being utilized. Um, yeah. I um, wonder if uh, yeah, I'm i I'm surprised that you weren't happy with the acting in the Ralph Macchio <laughs> series with the, with the guy he fought in the first karate kid, the blonde guy. Who who I thought you know, he was actually okay in it, but uh you know, I mean, I wasn't expecting great acting in it, but uh I don't know. I guess I guess I'm just not interested in in Karate Kid just in general. <laughs> it's never been one of my favorites. Uh, they should do like a um, this is a guy uh, that was in Crossroads. Joe, what was his oh, name? Oh yeah, Joe Morton. Blues. No, no. Uh, uh, Joe. Uh, he was also in The Verdict. Seneca was it? Joe, Joe Seneca. Yeah, Joe Seneca. Right. That's it. That's yes, it. Joe Seneca. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's dead now. So yeah, he should, is. They should do. Uh, they should reboot that and have Ralph Macchio play 
opposite his corpse, like a weekend at Bernie's thing. <laughs> they, take trip, they take a trip down south, and uh, he plays against the devil to to revive the soul of Joe Joe Seneca, his mentor. There you go. Wow. That's a whole other idea. Get to work on it, indie <laughs> indie filmmakers. It's it's your yes. responsibility to do these things. We're giving you gold here. Walter Hill, man, directed Crossroads. That's right. He sure did. That was that was when he was on on a hot streak. Rye Cooter. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The which there's a, there's an ointment for that now. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to have a Rye Cooter, because. <laughs> that that shit's itchy. That's amazing how he built a career on that name. Like seriously. <laughs> Try to be best, cause you're only a man, and a man's got to learn to take it. Try to believe, though the going gets rough, that you gotta hang tough to make it. History repeats itself. Try and you succeed. Never doubt that you're the one and you can have your dream. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. You're the best around. Nothing's gonna ever keep you Try your best to 